Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. And Linkshus, the place where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Min. Hi, Bernard. How's it going? I'm well, just in Singapore. And where are you now? Uh, I'm also in Singapore. You are based in Vietnam, right? I'm actually based in Singapore now, but I do go to Vietnam maybe about once a month or once every two months. Just in case no one knows, this is Amindo, the current editor and head of insects and community from Tech in Asia. And you have written a lot of articles about Vietnam. So that's the reason why I got you here. But before that, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get started in technology reporting? That's kind of a long story. You know, I actually studied uh, Zen Buddhism in university, but my dad uh, was an engineer and he kind of got me into technology when I was very young. And then long story short, I was doing a lot of events like bar camp in Vietnam for the last about five to six years. That got me really engrossed in uh, technology. I spent actually in eight years ago or so, I was actually playing playing around a lot with Unix, uh, Linux, and Ubuntu and stuff. So that really got me into it, got me into the community world of technology. That's what got me into Barcamp. And then that's eventually uh, how I ended up getting into Tech in Asia. Tech in Asia was looking for somebody who writes. I write a lot. I started writing even when there was GeoCities. I don't know if people remember GeoCities.com back in the day. Tech in Asia needed a writer. I was writing a lot as well as on the technology, so it's kind of a perfect alignment. Yes, I remember Cities. In fact, I have a website in Cities too. So you did startup.vm, startup.vm, which is acquired, and also now Shu. Maybe you can tell me a, a little about all these three projects as a whole. Yeah, I guess there's, I have a few more projects, uh, but uh, startup.vm was uh, co-founded by me and a few other guys who are pretty involved in the Vietnamese startup ecosystem, and we did a, a few conferences every year and workshops. And so that might actually turn into something else, which is a pre-accelerator program now for maybe like a one-month program for startups that need to go into accelerators later on or get an angel investment. And they will be centered around different industries. So the first one will be on agriculture. But for that, I'm more of a board member now. I, I'm not executionarily involved. For starthub.bn, that was actually a data project, database project that a group of engineers, friends and I put together. So it was five of us. And basically, we tried to build a, a database that had at the height about 700 startups that we found in Vietnam. And uh, it was also going to be a software portal for people to chat about startup in Vietnam. And eventually, we, we sold that off. And then Shield, which is probably the, the, mo- the latest project, which is uh, kind of an interesting name, startup, startup Hub for Investment, Education, and Leadership Development. Which is actually just a, the main purpose of that right now is to do one workshop per week about anything from online marketing to product development to, you know, storytelling and all that targeted at startups. Could be even be, you know, leadership development and, and leadership development and anything really that we think that the startups need. There's a lot of mentors out there, but they don't have that much time in Vietnam. And there's also a lot of different types of needs that startups have that are not just like that a founder could do, right? So then we go, okay, we can, we know a really good online marketing expert. He can, he can come in, give a workshop for a few hours for a startup. So that's, those are three of the projects that I'm working on. We're, I'm all, as well advising for uh, Dreamplex, which is incoming to be probably Vietnam's biggest co-working space in Ho Chi Minh City. A few other projects on the side, but really my main focus is at Tech in Asia. I mean, 
most of the projects that I work on on the side are like more as advising. Mm -hmm. So I kind of connect people, bring people together, and you know try to help craft the strategy a little bit. So before I go on to the tech in Asia part, so Shu, are you a Marvel fan? I am a Marvel fan. I'm more <laughs> DC fan actually. Really? I love Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and the Justice League, but I have to say. Marvel in the last few years has dazzled me. I mean, it's really Disney, right, that has crafted that entire thing. But I've been really impressed by what Marvel's done. So I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of both. Mm. But I, honestly, I'm a huge comic books fan. So actually, this is kind of funny that you mentioned that because I'm a, just a few days ago, Product Hunt featured my comic book collection on their email newsletter. So it was kind of like a hurrah for me. Oh, so I also a comic book fan. I read both DC and Marvel as well. Coming back, so. You joined Tech in Asia as the editor and the head of insights and community. What are your roles and responsibilities there then? So Tech in Asia, I joined about maybe about four years now when we were about 10 or 11 people. Now we're at about 80. Specifically, because we're getting bigger, we're trying to target more, more and better content. On one side, that means for insights, I really am pushing the team to develop deeper content, more long-form content, more research content, more content that is regional that helps us understand what's happening across Asia or across Southeast Asia. And that takes a lot of work. You know, we have to train the team up. We have to get them to do the research that they need as a journalist. So I, I tell I tell a team, you know, like write like a blogger, research like a journalist, and train like an investor. So you should have the mind of investor. So that's kind of the insights part. And in terms of community, that's really the product side. I'm, I, I don't want to represent the product guys too much, but basically for community, we are opening up the platform for anybody to post. And that's a huge experiment for us at Tech in Asia. And so from, from my side, I'm basically the editor. So I'm almost like the gatekeeper. I, I, I'm the one who approves or disapproves posts. And that means we have to really emphasize the quality, right? Because we have really good, a pretty good brand with Tech in Asia and our product is not bad. People come to us because they believe in of what we provide as a you know very good journalism, et cetera. And so when I approve new community content, I have to make sure that it it passes our test, more or less. Mm. So that's kind of and that also means that I end up interacting a lot with the product team because we're you know shifting, you know, we're quasi Reddit, quasi medium, quasi, you know, product hunt, so all this kinds of stuff where we're tr we're trying to see what really fits for our users in Asia and, and for the startup and tech community. And so when, when you look at tech in the valley, right, and all the blogs and all the news, you know, you got TechCrunch and Recode, and then you even got the niche sites like 9to5Mac, and then you got A16Z doing their own stuff, blah, 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 right? And when you look at that and you're like, whoa, like the valley just organically produces a lot of very good content, right? But then when you look at Asia, there's like a handful of blogs, not even, right? You could count them, count them on one hand. And then there are really not that many people who are blogging on their own about issues like, let's say, investment, in depth, etc. So in a way, Tech in Asia is trying to become the platform for that. Getting back to this, I'm here to actually talk to you about the Vietnamese startup ecosystem in 2015. So just as a start, I will just put some numbers. I think Vietnam has a population of 90.7 million, about 40 million internet users, 28 million active social accounts and about 128 million mobile connections and 44% of internet penetration, 37% mobile internet penetration and 24% e-commerce activity. This is based on uh, We Are Social statistics. I st maybe the first question I want to sort of start off is to talk about the challenges, the challenges of the Vietnamese startup ecosystem. Maybe can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. Actually, I want to fix one thing. Actually, I think the active social counts is likely higher because Facebook is lately reporting about 33 million users in Vietnam. Actually, I think Vietnam might be the world's fastest growing country for Facebook, uh, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, given the numbers that you're seeing uh, as a total, I, I think that Vietnam's in a very good place in terms of growth. I think most of these numbers will either double or grow like by 25% by the end of next year. Unfortunately, given that there's a lot of startup problems that we see, you know, I think there's problems in trust. Problems in terms of like, and this is something that you know a lot of Vietnamese will say about trust is that people don't, organizations don't work together. Or let's say I know one of my friends, he started a contract with another group of my friends and then they didn't really outline the contract very well. Payment didn't happen, and then the bottom kind of fell out on that project. So I think that trust is a pretty big issue. There's also a problem with getting money at the very lower levels for Vietnam, although that is changing, shifting a little bit because there's a lot of angel investors coming into Vietnam. Then the problem actually shifts to, okay, who is going to fund people at a $1 million to, uh, let's say, $10 million level, like that whole range? to push people up to, you know, the 15, 30 million, right? And so the, the pipeline is, is kind of has holes at different levels. And then at the very top, you see that, you know, there's not that many opportunities for IPOing or M&A. And actually, that's also partly a problem of the startups themselves. Like, the most recent big M&A, I would say, is like about $22 million. And that was like a recruitment site. I would say that another problem I see is that the there's a very insulated way of thinking. Vietnamese people are not very globally minded, in my opinion, compared to other uh, Southeast Asian countries. There is the English level is pretty weak. And so that means that, you know, I've, I've, been at, I've been at events, right, where there's a Vietnamese founder standing there giving a speech with kind of broken Vietnamese. And then there, there comes the Indonesian founder up next, right? And I know for a fact that among the two of these guys, the Vietnamese guy is actually way more impressive. Right? Not just on paper, but in terms of like he keeps a great company, a great team, etc. And the Indonesian guy, he is a really new, but his English is really good. And so from the audience perspective, they see the, the Indonesian dude as way more impressive. So I think that is almost like a metaphor for Vietnam. Vietnam is like a black box to outsiders. It's always, in my opinion, better than it looks from the outside and sometimes worse than it looks once you get to know it. <laughs> um, so perception is more, more than reality. From your point of view, I think Vietnam is is kind of in a way like the Southeast, Southeast Asia's best kept secret because there's so little knowledge about it across the region, and so for people who know it really well, they have a big advantage. They can find some really cool companies. I thought it was interesting because when I was in Ho Chi Minh City last year, the the Vietnamese younger population is actually growing very large. So you probably would grow in the next two three decades from this 90.7 million as compared to say something like Korea and Japan, um, each one of them I think is about 60 million population. So it's actually going to be actually one of the fastest growing market in the region. What are the interesting startup companies or established technology companies in your opinion in Vietnam at the moment? I'll, I'll take a step back for a second and, mm. and, and follow up what your comment is. Like, I, I'd also say that uh, with among your all your statistics that you know, Vietnam's middle class is also set to double like in the next five years as well, mm. which is a pretty impressive number. So given that, then we're going to see a lot of startups that are tackling that area. 
and that is a more sustainable market, right? Which is a, a segue into you know one of the more interesting companies that we're seeing. I would say you know obviously there's the handful, the five big guys that I would say you know usually it's three, but I would say there's five is is a VNG, obviously uh, probably the most well known. They're maybe about a billion dollar valuation. They started out in gaming. And then they invested in internet in general, so they consider self, themselves to be an internet company, everywhere from entertainment to mobile, etc. And they've been doing really well, $100 million uh, revenue in 2014. And then we got VC Core, which is also pretty impressive. They started out as a, as a forum, but then they invested heavily into media. And so I can kind of consider them to be similar to Naver in Korea, or I kind of look at them as like an anti-Google in a sense, because they, instead of indexing what exists, what they do is they create media and then index their own stuff and then sell advertising on top of it. And now they're also becoming pretty strong in mobile gaming. And then there's FPT, which is huge. Their revenues last year were like $1.7 billion. They're, but their actual market cap, they're actually, they are already IPO'd. Their actual market cap's maybe not even breaking a billion dollars yet because they are invested in every chain their margins are, are quite low. They invested in outsourcing to universities, to hardware manufacturing. They even invested in internet wires that come into Vietnam. So they're a huge company. And they also started out their own seed fund, which is FPT Ventures. That's a $3 million fund. And then we've got Teyeyidam, or we would call Mobile World in English. They're kind of like Vietnam's best buy, but more like only electronic for phones. They actually, I feel, last year making multimillionaires out of their five co-founders and we'll get into one of the co-founders later. I think that they're set to become a billion-dollar company in about two or three years. Very impressive company. So that's a unicorn then. Yeah, that that that'll be a, that'll be a billion dollars very soon. Their CEO is is amazing. And then you got Vat Yeah, which is um, V A T G I A, which is a e-commerce company. Founder actually lived in Japan for a period of time, so he kind of uh, took the Rakuten. He learned a lot from the Rakuten model and he brought it back to Vietnam. So those are kind of the five, I would say, are really the biggest in Vietnam. Then there's a host of smaller ones. I don't know if you want to t- take a step back and talk about these. But maybe we can talk in terms of categories. I guess the best way to do in a region like Vietnam would be something like areas of interest and maybe we can talk a little bit about the examples of companies in that space. Maybe we start talking about the most interesting, which is e-commerce. What are the interesting e-commerce startups that you you have seen in Vietnam? Well, I would say uh, Tiki.vn is obviously the most well-known. They started out in books. Actually, it's funny because I know, I've known Sung, the founder, the longest out of anybody else in the startup scene. When he started out with his now wife in his parents' house, and he just, his, basically his room was his warehouse. Pretty cool company. Now they are in electronics and fashion and home decor and toys that's kind of now they're kind of they're like on a path to become like amazon but they they're facing lazada right and then you got in terms of e-commerce you also got what i would call the interesting seedcom portfolio so i mentioned mobile world's co-founders one of them is in the co-founder of seedcom so after he ipo'd he started this venture builder and the entire venture builder is basically invested into retail e-commerce and customer service or retail which makes that portfolio particularly interesting because he's got a guy that's like a Shopify clone. He's got a guy that's like a Zendesk. He's got a guy that's like GoGo Van. 
So, and all these guys are in one portfolio, which means that they all work together as well as they build products for each other, which I think, you know, for sure in maybe five years, that portfolio may become a billion dollar portfolio given their strengths. So you're going to start seeing a mobile world mafia turning up in Vietnam. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what what we're seeing now. So in terms of e-commerce, is it just mainly in the areas where people just buy and sell stuff in different verticals or are there any sort of interesting plays that's going on in the e-commerce space itself? I mean, it's funny because the, the coupon, the daily deals world is still alive in Vietnam, right? But what where where daily deals in from what I understand in China is that they actually transitioned into payments. Daily deals here in Vietnam have, has, have transitioned into more like e-commerce sites, uh, more like logistics e-commerce. So 70% of all the daily deal guys like Hot Deal, Gomor and stuff, they invested, uh, they, they get about like 70% of their sales are actually e-commerce items. So I think that's kind of unique to Vietnam. I think we're also seeing a lot of shops and businesses going online. And that may actually be the single biggest threat to Lazada and the big guys than, you know, the smaller e-commerce sites. So you see, you know, like some small shop, he wants to sell specifically cell phone cases. And so then he is going to work with maybe some of the guys in the seed comp portfolio. Or he's going to work with the existing, you know, Vakyas, Nyan.bn, or other models that help the small, medium-sized sellers. So that's a pretty unique thing. Instead of what we see maybe in Thailand, which is like a lot of Facebook e-commerce, we see less of that. We see more of just straight up going straight to shops and platforms. It's pretty interesting. So what about mobile applications? I recall that you've been writing a chat app called Zello, which have about 30 million registered users. Yeah, actually Zello is from VNG and they got about 30 million users and this is kind of an interesting story. I don't think people talk about this enough in that, you know, we talk a lot about how Line and WeChat and Talk, et cetera, have kind of been growing across the Southeast Asian region, whereas Zalo is the only one that locally that beat out a global competitor, including Viber. I, I, I heard recently that Viber left Vietnam. So as far as I understand, Zalo dominates Vietnam in terms of user base. And VNG put up a lot of money. I bet you they put up, you know, up to $20 million in conquering the Zalo market. And I think that the, the beauty of what VNG is doing is that they understand the, the strategy of creating a platform. So in, previously, they created Zing and they built their entire entertainment and news and content services all around Zing when Zing was like basically like a Facebook. And now I think that what they're trying to do is do the same thing with Zalo which is build a platform and mobile gaming and all this kind of stuff around Zalo. So it remains to be seen, though, because uh, they haven't monetized it yet. They do have a user base, so we'll see where that heads. So is Zalo's competitive advantage is in the language localization or otherwise? It's more about their localization in general, not necessarily just the language, because, you know, other apps do have Vietnamese, right? And they even have stickers in Vietnamese, like Line has Vietnamese stickers, right? I think that Zalo has not only spent a lot on marketing, but it's also been very close to Vietnamese users. And so they do a lot of different kinds of things for Vietnamese holidays and stuff like that that, that have connected them. But even to now, like Zalo still advertises daily everywhere. So they're always in the consciousness of the, of the users. Mm. How about- I have to say, though, that Zalo also... They put their servers right in the telco's office servers, like right next to the telco's office in their offices. 
And so that also is an advantage for Zalo in terms of speed. And speed is kind of everything, right, in, in terms of chat. What about, like, for example, given that people in Vietnam speak Vietnamese, do you have sort of uh, search engines or discovery sites that are actually Vietnamese-centered then? Yeah, I mean, there's Cop Cop, right? Which, uh, unfortunately, in, in English, we pronounce it Cop Cop. Cop Cop is actually a Russian-backed search engine. They invested at least $20 million into their first uh, few years. And then they recently got another $15 million from Berda Media, which is actually Germany's top media organization. That is a pretty strong competitor to Google. But of course, Google owns the market. It's like an 80 to 95% uh, market penetration. Gop kind of lost, I would say, in the search engine market, but has been able to pivot into browser. They offer basically a much better browser than the Chrome. Ironically, they use Chrome code to create the Copcop browser, but they've added all these other features that are relevant to Vietnamese users, like downloading video or listening to audio and that kind of stuff, which is semi, you know, dubious ethically, but, but it's, it's allowed them to get over, I think now they probably hit 15 to 20 million users, downloads from their browser. So that's, that's, that's a pretty big success. What about discovery sites like, you know, food delivery companies, you know, food restaurant sites, the equivalent of Yelp or, right. you know, Hungry Go Where? There's foodie.vn. Foodie, I would say, is a very impressive company. I would not be surprised if they come to dominate Southeast Asia as the food restaurant listings. And, and the interesting thing about Foodie, they got they got investment from CyberAgent. They've kind of made a very did a, done a very good job of of going from listings and now into food delivery and restaurant booking plus POS now. So they're getting more and more diverse in their business model. At the same time, they've have a very strong core in content. And they were very impressive about three or four years ago in Vietnam because no one really could figure out how Vietnamese people could would share. Vietnamese people generally don't share online. You know, compared to me, I'm an American, right? And Americans love to share online. We love to show off our knowledge, etc. Because Vietnamese people are kind of shy about sharing online. Uh, it's kind of not in our culture. And it's, uh, you know, you don't want to lose face. You want to be wrong. So Foodie did some interesting things in which it would reward users uh, they even did offline events in which they would celebrate users. They would give users coupons and all of these kinds of sophisticated models. And that uh, allowed them to grow all of their listings. And that is what they're using to pivot into all these other areas because now they have a relationship with restaurants. They have a relationship with the customers. And so they can use all of that to build uh, a pretty defensible ecosystem. So I could see how they would do that in the rest of the region. They're, they're already starting with Indonesia. And they've also got, you know, Tiger Global money. So, I mean, that's kind of a pretty strong fortress for them in the long run. How about property listings then? Property listing, I, I would say, is a bit slow at the moment. There's a few, there's, there's actually two main guys, Bak Dong Sang and Mu Bang Yadak. Uh, they were the number one, number two. But the problem for me, from my perspective, is that their technology is quite weak. Their UX UI is pretty weak and they're kind of... Oh, they're older. I met a lot of new guys who want to enter their space. So I'm not sure how well they will fare in the near future, but we'll, I guess we'll see. But you see that even in Singapore, for example, Property Guru is now being starting to be attacked by something like 99.co with a better UI, right. a better way of doing things on that. How about digital social media companies then? Digital social media, you mean like kind of Facebook competitor? Yeah. Or? A Facebook competitor or some digital advertising companies? 
I, that was, you know, that was VNG's zing. You know, uh, VNG tried to do that for a while. They were dominant until Facebook just kind of took over. But I think what we see more is media sites that work with advertising. Actually, last year we had a big controversy with Haivela, which is kind of like Vietnam's nine gag. And they got acquired by a larger media company that actually funded them. They had some issues because their content was kind of racy. It was too political and too sexy, so to speak. And they got shut down. And, and that's kind of an interesting thing about Vietnam's media and content space because it's pretty restrictive in terms of content like what you can you post if you avoid the political and se sexy content then, then you should be all right but uh, it, it still adds another layer of dynamic to digital in vietnam in terms of like what might be interesting more is like that there's more social media listening companies and more companies that work with brands and that enters you know into vietnam's potential as an enterprise space so there's a lot of those kinds of companies that are, are rising in vietnam and the thing about that is that it is safer right from a business point of view considering that vietnam there's not that much money although there's new money coming in b2c is a little bit harder to be sustainable than b2b because enterprise you get the money coming in i wanted to ask if vietnam has a centralized startup ecosystem location where people can identify. I'll give some examples. For example, Block 71 in Singapore or Gangnam in South Korea. Are, that's where most of the startup activity is happening. The interesting is that, is that Vietnam has a very robust online ecosystem in the form of Launch, which you know I wrote about a few, few months ago. Launch has like about 18,000 people in this Facebook group. And it's where everybody goes to talk. It's where all the hottest topics are happening. Right, like so. Just today, actually, there's a large group of people, about 30 to 40 startup leaders, that are meeting with the vice prime minister of Vietnam today, and a lot of them are going online to talk about it and talk about what the issues are and what should we ask the vice prime minister, that kind of stuff. So there is a very active community online. In terms of the offline co-working spaces and things like that, there's it's a pretty fragmented world. A few years ago. There was Saigon Hub, and that uh, went down due to, I think, the business model was a little bit weak. But there's been Work Saigon, there's Hub.it, which actually started by a Singaporean in Hanoi. And there's a few other co-working spaces that are out there, but there's no major one place. Except for, I believe, in October, there's going to be a big one called Dreamplex, which I'm also advising for, which is going to be three floors. Each floor would be able to hold about 200 people to 300 people. And it's going to be pretty big because they're trying to consolidate all of the events into one place. So in the near future, I mean, I would look at Dreamplex as the place to be. So are all the activities centered in Ho Chi Minh City or other parts of Vietnam, such as Ta Nang or Hanoi? I would say that Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City are really the main startup place. Ho Chi Minh City is considerably bigger. It's maybe two to four million people bigger. I would say that they're actually equal. Hanoi produces a lot of technology people. It's also where a lot of the top managers and leaders come from in the older generation of startups. So like FPT, VNG, VC Core, Vakya, they're all northerners in their leadership. At the same time, Ho Chi Minh City has, has all the money. Ho Chi Minh City is kind of like the business capital of Vietnam. And so you see a lot of very interesting startups that are in the business space coming out of Ho Chi Minh City, as well as you see a lot of new up-and-coming companies coming out of approaching city more so and I think maybe now than Hanoi in Da Nang I would say a lot of people love to say that Da Nang is the future but it's so small that it cannot really even be considered an ecosystem quite yet 
I mean, Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi themselves are still trying to become ecosystems. So if that's true, then how much of an ecosystem can Da Nang be? I think Da Nang is going to be the Delaware of Vietnam, so to speak. I mean, if you know the valley very well, you know that a lot of companies are actually incorporated in Delaware. And I think maybe Da Nang may be that in a way because the authorities there are easier to work with, the legal structures are maybe a little bit more favorable to companies. And so it's possible we'll see that coming out of Da Nang. How are Western companies like Google, Facebook, and Apple doing in Vietnam? Complicated. Google doesn't have an office in Vietnam, and neither does Facebook, and neither does Apple. Google is far and away the dominant search engine. Uh, Facebook is obviously the dominant social media. I think it's interesting when you look at these two companies specifically, they're eating up the market share of advertising and content companies like crazy. You know, it, it, maybe about three or four years ago, they were very new to the scene in terms of ad- advertising dollar spend. And now they dominate. And I think Facebook is now the number one in, in Vietnam for advertising spend. So that's very good for Facebook and Google. Apple, I would say, is Vietnam is kind of unique in that I would say maybe Android is number one in Vietnam like it is in everywhere, but actually Nokia, Microsoft's Nokia and Apple do pretty good because Vietnam like is very brand conscious. And so it's Apple is the most aspirational brand. Nokia has been in Vietnam for so long that there's a very strong brand loyalty to Nokia. And so up until recently, it was taking about 20 to 25% of the market. And so that kind of leaves Apple in an interesting space. Although I don't see it, it abetting. You know, I think that Apple will continue to grow in Vietnam. Mm. Uh, I think one more company that might be interesting to look at is Uber and GrabTaxi. And that battle that's playing out. Up until two years ago, GrabTaxi and Uber were not in Vietnam, but there were other competitors in Vietnam that were just beginning. But the moment that Uber and GrabTaxi jumped in, it was it was over for them. And now it's just been Uber and GrabTaxi. Is Vietnam a Android nation? or? Uh, I would say no. I would say that it's it's pretty split up still. I, I would say it's pretty split up. I, I, would, be, I would be surprised if uh, Android took any more than like 40% of the market. I see that you have written a very interesting post about who are the people that you need to know in Vietnam. I'm sure you're one of them. So can you sort of tell me, like, for example, are there equivalents of Ron Conway, Kevin Rose, you know, all these Silicon Valley celebrities in Vietnam? I think that, uh, you know, my list is mostly the people that I feel are, they speak English really well, their network is really good, and they're open to meeting. That That's the list that I have. But they're not necessarily the kind of like VIPs of Vietnam. You know, there's other people out there that are highly influential that I didn't put in the list. And and that's mainly out of for practical reasons, because I know that they're so busy that they won't be able to contact you. But there's people like Nam Do, who's really well connected. He has his own startup. He's also an angel investor. There's people like Tui Jung from Tappy. And she got acquired earlier this year. And there's people like Eddie Tai, who you know just started working on 500 startups for Vietnam. And, and there's a few others that are listen there that are really... And I mean, Din Anhong, who is the founder of Seedcom, he's like, uh, you know, he's almost like the Peter Thiel of Vietnam in a way, right? So yeah, th- there's there's quite a lot of people like that that a lot of people look up to and respect. Uh, and I would say the the sorry the the, the CEO of VNG is very very well respected in Vietnam as well. So. 
Mm. So uh, you were mentioning just before the show started that Vietnam actually have a very special connection with Silicon Valley. Would you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, Vietnam uh, experienced the Vietnam War, right? And uh, and that caused millions of people to flee in the, in the 70s, in the late 70s to the States. And when you go to the valley, right, you meet, you know, what are the main Asian groups? You meet Indian, obviously, and then you meet a lot of Chinese and then Vietnamese and then maybe Filipinos. I think those are the main, maybe the top four, I guess. And so Vietnam has a very strong connection to the valley. Santa Clara, San Jose, Milpitas, those are all enclaves of Vietnamese people, so to speak. And a lot of them are actually engineers. And when you dig even deeper, you start to see that, you know, co-founders or founders of certain companies are actually Vietnamese. So like Clout, which uh, was acquired a few years ago, the, this, the founder was uh, Vietnamese. When you look at Color, you know, the... Mm. The, the big company that um, came up and failed, the co-founders Vietnamese. Then you look at, you know, Misfit Wearables, which was invested by Xiaomi, the co-founder is a Vietnamese-American who has a huge office. The biggest office is actually in Vietnam. So you start to see, you look around and you, st- you see that there's a lot of Vietnamese out there. Even the CTO of Uber is a Vietnamese person. So that kind of uh, relationship with Vietnam is going to pay off uh, a lot. And it has been paying off in the long run, right? Like Misfit Wearables is here. There's companies like Adatau, which got investment from A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz just last year. So there's there's all these things that are that are kind of happening that you don't really see. A lot of now successful Vietnamese Americans are actually coming back and investing in Vietnam, right? So Ben from Clout is coming back to invest, as well as we have Tuk Vo, who is a Googler. He exited to Google. He's also coming back to invest. So I think that that connection is is going to pay off. And I, I'm hoping that what we see more is like the engineers coming back here and, you know, training younger Vietnamese engineers. So w- whenever there are startups, there's definitely venture capital. So who are the investors and any notable angels or venture capital firms? For example, I know IBG Ventures and to a certain extent, DFJ Vina Capital. Who are the main players in Vienna? I guess there's three main institutional investors, right? There's IDG Ventures, and they invest in like 43 companies, VNG being the most notable of that cluster. And then you got DFJ Vina Capital. You know, they've invested a little bit. They're not as bullish on the market as they used to be. And then there's Cyber Agent Ventures, which I would say is probably the most active. Uh, they invested in Foodie, right, that I mentioned earlier. So those are the three main guys. Then there's a handful of Guys who are who have their presence here, like Inspire Ventures, FBT Ventures, 500 Startups. Uh, these guys are kind of coming in. They're more new to the market. And then you have a really large population of actually angel investors. And honestly, in the last six months, I've met, you know, 30 new angel investors, like individual angel investors who want to invest in Vietnam. And now they're starting to group together. And we see that that means that there's a large population of pretty wealthy people who want to put their money back in the youth, right? And they have a lot of expertise, et cetera. So I think that 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 will cause a lot of good pipeline flow in the next two or three years for Vietnam. I I think that the pipeline for Vietnam is, is great right now, given these things, especially because we start to see, you know, venture builders as well, like Seedcom with uh, investors, serious investors backing them. In terms of the money, it's, it's looking pretty good. The question is, all these is all this money going to translate into more regional money and bigger valuations? That's a bigger question than 
Mm. How do they invest then? Are they still very traditional or are they the Silicon Valley type that is traction more important than revenues? I think that they are much more about the traction, right? They are much more about the revenue. There's not that many companies that are willing to wait. Having said that, I don't know. Th- th- things have changed very fast in the last year. With, you know, VNG is willing to pump millions of dollars to make Zalo happen which also means that there's other companies like Apota and Foodie that are, and even Yahangyan, GHN, which just launched the new Gogo van. They also have millions of dollars that they're willing to just invest in traction without revenue for a little while so that they can gain the market share. And they're backed by really smart people. So I think that tide may be shifting a little bit for Vietnam. And I think what, what investors may be realizing in Vietnam a little bit is that if they don't go regional, then they can't really win in the long run, right? And if they don't plow their money into traction first over revenue, then they can't really grab that market share to eventually go regional. Mm. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Are there any accelerators of note that we need to know? I mean, 500 startups, are they more a seed fund or accelerator in They're Vietnam? Seed fund, yeah. Mm. I would say that Seedcom is like well, the accelerator. There's also Vietnam Silicon Valley Project, which is kind of a interesting name for a accelerator that's actually funded by the Ministry of Science. They fund about 10 startups a year. Then there's also the IPP, which got funding from the, the Finnish government and the Vietnamese government. So they combined and they got uh, a bunch of money to incubate and accelerate a handful of startups. That's pretty much it. I believe the FTP Venture, FPT Ventures is keen on getting into acceleration. And yeah, there's, that's about it though. So yeah. Mm. So there is a very interesting article that you wrote about Vietnam's valuation gap. Do you think that localization is a reason why we have not seen companies in that is more than 300 million US valuation in Vietnam? I think that uh, valuation, the valuation gap is not just about localization. It's also about market consolidation. On one side, it's localization, right? In that the, the startups, they go so deep into Vietnam that once you're too deep into Vietnam, you can't get your head into other countries, right? The, the mentality, the way of thinking, your product is so enraptured in how Vietnamese people, Vietnamese users work and pay for your product, etc., that they're not going to be able to transition that into, okay, globalize it to Indonesia or localize it to uh, the Philippines, etc. So that's one problem. Another problem that I see is that we see too many companies exist in a one, two, three world, meaning that they have two other or one other competitor that is almost as good as them. And so in a way that holds them back. You know, I've, I've talked to like some firms like VTP, Vietnam Technology Partners, and they're talking about how like the problem for Vietnam right now is that there's not enough market consolidation and that holds back all these companies, right? Because they have the other competitors which are competing away their prices, they can't grow larger. They can't become one dominant player in the market. And so I think that causes a valuation problem in the long run. So it would be great, in my opinion, if a lot more companies were acquiring each other or competing each other away instead of just existing together. And that holds everybody back in terms of valuation. But wouldn't it be better economically? Because in economics, you have better competition. So eventually, within the first top three, there will be a winner, a clear winner to take out the other two. You would, in theory, right. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, number one, I'm, you know, I've been... I read the zero to one book, and he and Peter Thiel talks about you know how how you know maybe competition isn't such a great thing, right? That competition actually competes away profits, and I think that's even more true in Vietnam, in which 
actually what competition does is that it holds people back because they are all they do is they just compete with each other on price or they copy each other's features so then everybody's kind of the same and all they do is they hold onto their core user base and they are not able to jump from let's say 2 million e-commerce users to 4 million because the other 2 million are with their competitor right that's a big hold back there what would be the most interesting things that we will be observing about the vietnamese ecosystem in the next one two years i think one thing we didn't cover yet is actually outsourcing vietnam i, I think is one of maybe the top uh, technology hub for southeast asia i mean if you think about it right the vng is vietnam's biggest company is about a billion dollars and then the other, only other you know billion dollar company besides grab taxi would be maybe Garena, right, which is a Singaporean company. And guess what? Most of the technology for Garena is actually in Vietnam, right? So I think that um, Vietnam is a huge technology hub that we that we're continue to see play a big impact on how strong Vietnam is in the long run. I mean, technology is where you get a lot of the innovation. Another thing that I would say is very interesting about Vietnam is is the maturity of the market. IDG came in about ten years ago now. And that means that there's 10 years of maturity. There's a lot of these founders who failed or succeeded. There's a lot of these product managers or managers who understand technology really well who are now actually transitioning into founding companies. So that will, will come to a head when we see, you know, like I said, that there's a lot of angels arising, plus there's a lot of founders coming up. So that these two things will combine to create a pretty interesting ecosystem in the near future. And I think it's Interesting. Most of the things that I noted that I say that are challenges for Vietnam, a lot of the thought leaders uh, and the leadership in Vietnam, were like community builders, are becoming more and more aware of these issues. And so there's kind of like a meta, there's kind of a meta dialogue now happening around. Okay, how do we improve as an ecosystem? How do we talk to the government as a community? How do we support younger startups as a community? All these things are kind of coming together slowly. So that may or may not lead to a much stronger ecosystem in general. So I guess this is probably the start of the discussion on the Vietnamese ecosystem. I probably will get you back to talk a little bit more about companies like VNG or Mobile World. Help my audience. How do they find you? You can just find me on technasia.com and you can even email me. I'm, I'm happy to email people back at min at technasia.com. And uh, yeah, I'm, also on, I'm always on Twitter at hello mindo. Yeah, that's me. And you can find me at bleungc or bernardleung.com or subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia, either Twitter or come to our main site. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and please leave your feedback. Uh, one star to five star, we are always ready to listen. So once again, thank you, Min, for coming on to the show. All right. Thanks, Bernard. Thanks for having me.